podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Uh, we already had absolutely loads to talk about for this week's pod. We had a, a massive weekend of action in La Liga, some really, really big games, some big results as well. So loads for us to discuss on match day 17. And then we had the Champions League draw as well, uh, which was what it was. It's turned out how it's turned out and has also given us more to discuss. Sydney, how are you holding up, mate? I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah, the Champions League draw uh, <laughs> was just a bonkers way on a day that's always busy anyway. Just kind of a bonkers way of going, ah, just losing the plot completely, really, wasn't it? Yeah, a, a little. A little and bit. I, th- I suspect it's not. I suspect it's not over either. Yeah. Well, the Champions League draw. Just in case anyone. <laughs> Isn't entirely up to speed what happened. We thought the Champions League draw for the last 16 was Real Madrid against Benfica, Atletico Madrid against Bayern and Villarreal against Manchester City. But no, it had to be redrawn because of a technical issue with the software, which um, helps make the draw happen. Anyway, without getting into technicalities, it's been redrawn and it's Real Madrid against PSG, Atletico Madrid against Man United (laughs) and Villarreal against, against Juventus. Real Madrid aren't happy, Sid. They're deeply unhappy. No, I mean, look, first of all, I understand why they're not happy. Um, Because if you've been put in a position where you think you're getting Benfica and then it gets changed and it's PSG, you're going to lose your rag a little bit. I think you're going to lose your rag even more when you can make the point that the draw, the flaws in the draw were not to do with your particular part of the draw as well. So I think you can sort of say, well, look, it wasn't even us that was affected but of course the whole draw is kind of interdependent um and just the whole shambles of it and then you add another element to this and I do genuinely think this is an important element Real Madrid are the drivers of the Super League project so anything that seems to point to either ineptitude or worse still kind of deliberate manipulating or or you know deliberately making a mess of it from UEFA is to be seized upon by Real Madrid and I think there will be um there will be, phew, there will be more than words said. Put it that uh, way. As a, a tweet that I saw, rather humorously put, uh, luckily Florentino Perez is the type of guy to take this on the chin. <laughs> Not quite. I mean, there is also there is also the irony, I suppose, as well, of of the uh, you know the, the kind of main proponents of the Super League who say we need to play the big games more often now going no no not this big game I didn't mean this one not just yet now obviously look I'm being deliberately facetious and and I must admit if I was in Real Madrid's position put bluntly I'd be mighty pissed off and they are they are mighty pissed off but they are um, yeah it's not probably going to get them too far but let's see Uh, you said you don't think this is the uh, this is the end of it but yeah so Reaction to the, to the second draw, Real Madrid PSG has got quite a lot of narrative to it. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Um, I mean, we had a bit more narrative when we thought that that it was PSG Man United because of the obvious yeah. and slightly tedious. But I suppose it's quite nice to have it probably one last time because I imagine it won't happen again. The Messi Ronaldo thing, PSG Real Madrid has absolutely loads of narrative as well, of course, because Sergio Ramos is there, because uh, Kylian Mbappe is there, and it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, beyond all the kind of footballing elements, to see how the Bernabeu reacts to both Mbappe and Ramos. Mm. Now, on the face of it, 
given that he's already done much more, you'd expect an even warmer reception for Ramos than for Mbappe. But I almost wonder if it might actually be the other way mm. around. Um, then, of course, look, let's look at it from a footballing point of view. I don't really know, and things may well change between now and February, how to kind of how to analyse this. Or, or, well, we or don't need to analyse it, it now, I don't think, because it's, it's, it's oh, in good, three good, months. Good, let me so. off the hook. Please, please yeah. do. Yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you. All right, I'm not going to analyse yeah. it. Let's just, let's just go sort of but generically, it, as, as we did. It's quite a lot. It's a quite a lot harder than Benfica. That is sensational analysis. Um, there's also... <laughs> there's also <laughs> that, that's what they come for. That's why they pay us the big uh, There's also narrative as well with uh, Atleti against Man United. Yeah. There is. Uh, Ronaldo there is. Um, returning to, to Madrid. David De Gea returning as well to, uh, to Atleti. I've forgotten all about David De Gea. Yeah. I think quite a lot of people had. Um, that's yeah. true. He, he is going back to Atletico Madrid. Ronaldo got a lot of pelters when he last played against Atletico for Juventus. And I think it was at Atletico when he came through the mix zone and did that five yes. gesture. I've got five Champions Leagues. You lot have got yeah. none. Um, and that he won't was, be forgotten. You know, he was yeah. really... They really laid mm. into him. Yeah. Uh, and then Villarreal against uh, Juventus. I think Villarreal initially had, had Manchester City. So it's a, it's a more winnable tie, but it is still a, a very difficult tie. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think the reality is that, that Villarreal knew that they were almost certainly going to get a team yeah. that was going to be very, very, very difficult to beat. In fact, I think they were almost certainly, whoever they got, I don't think they could have been favourites in mm. this round. Uh, we've also had the Europa League draw. No problems here, although some... Some really tough-looking fixtures for the Spanish-looking uh, sides. Barcelona taking on Napoli, which is just about as difficult as it could have been. Yeah. Uh, Real Betis travelling to Russia to take on Zenit St. Petersburg. Real Sociedad face RB Leipzig. And then Sevilla with a, with a kinder draw against, uh, against Dinamo Zagreb. Um, those were the European ties then for Spanish teams. Uh, we're not dwelling on it too much, obviously. There was a lot of controversy. And if you want to ask us a question about it, you can, fortunately. Uh, our patrons get a Q&A pod every single Tuesday. They also get a bonus pod uh, on a Thursday. They get access to our uh, historical series. TSFP presents two episodes a month. So there's loads for patrons at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Come and join us. Uh, it costs very little I think it's about a euro a week. So um, uh, have a look and uh, check us out if you want to. Uh, if not, it's fine. We're here every Monday. It's cool. Uh, let's move on to match day 17, Sydney in La Liga, because there is loads, loads, loads for us to talk about. Not much about the Friday night game. Mallorca nil, Celta nil, apart from the wind. The wind was absolutely ridiculous um, on the island of Mallorca. The ball had to be held in place when set pieces were being taken. It was very, very difficult to play any real meaningful football. Then on Saturday, I, I personally didn't have Espanyol Levante down for game of the season, but no, but it's up, I, there. But it it's up there. Espanyol 4, Levante 3. A fantastic, uh, thrilling game full of goals and a historic one as well because Levante are now on the yeah. longest winless streak in La Liga yeah. history. It's 25 matches. Nobody has ever gone 25 consecutive games without a win. That's the irony, is it, of it, isn't it? On the on the day that Levante officially became the worst team in Spanish football history, they produced possibly the best game of the Absolutely. season. Absolutely, um, Alaves Getafe was not the game of the season, uh, no, but it was it still a uh, an important point claimed. Getafe could have gone gotten out of the relegation zone had they won, but Joselu equalised uh, late on for uh, Alaves to claim a, a point. Then Valencia two, Elche one. Uh, Valencia on a, on a really really good run of form. There's seven matches. Unbeaten. There was controversy here. Elche thought they'd had a, a late equaliser, but we don't have goal line technology in Spain. 
So we don't fully know if the ball crossed the line or not. We do have VAR, but in this case, the VAR wasn't entirely conclusive. I guess it depends what you want to see as well, because we tweeted a picture of the ball potentially crossing the line, potentially not, and loads of Valencia fans (laughs) tweeted us saying, it's clearly not crossed the line. Uh, But yeah, the idea is that it's a doubt. We don't fully know and exactly. we should have. Exactly. We should have and it's, it's so easy. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, 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 we argue about the VAR and there are some people who are radical enough as to say we should get rid of the VAR. And I think even those people would say, well, we should have goal line technology because there's literally no hassle with goal line technology. It is yes or no, end of story. And I mean, you'd think that you could use those lines for the offsides. You could use that on the goal line, mm. couldn't you? You could be able to pull them up to the goal line and see where the ball is, but... Yeah, um, and uh, the final game on Saturday saw Sevilla somehow winning Bilbao, beating <laughs> Athletic one nil. We've seen this game before. Uh, it was basically exactly what happened at the Bernabeu. Athletic missed uh, about five or six really, really good chances, and Sevilla scored, and they won. I did the maths, by the way, because uh, I mean our listeners obviously don't know this, but on on uh, on, on our internal communications channel, I said to you some statistic that I'd heard on the radio. Which turned out to be nonsense. As oh, it was it was nonsense, they, was it? Right. right okay. uh, but wait, but wait, it's almost okay. as good. Um, nonsense. The, it was. I think they don't. They only scored one of their last fifty-seven shots or something. It was completely crazy. But here you go. I actually did the math. So I, I mean, in the most simple way possible, which was to go to uh, whoscored.com and just go through and total up the number of shots they'd had in the previous five games. So here we are. Uh, Athletic Club have not scored any of their last 40 shots. Now, I don't know how late in the game, which shot it was in the previous game, Granada 2, Athletic 2, to be able to tell you whether that's 40 is 42 or 44 or 45 or whatever it may be. But in the Granada game, they scored two. But then they had a nil-nil draw before that and a nil-nil draw before that. So uh, in the last five games, Athletic have taken 74 shots and scored only two of them. That's pretty crazy. Um, They do have a... uh... A very high uh, expected goals uh, athletic club, the fifth highest uh, in La Liga. And they are on, in terms of goals per game, uh, they are the joint lowest. So that that gives you an idea as to to their problems. Um, Then on Sunday, it was a super Sunday, some really big matches and it kind of lived up to its billing uh, as well. Uh, Villarreal beating Raya Vallecano by two goals to nil. Raya with seven wins and a draw from their eight home games, but only one win in nine on the road. Big win for Villarreal. It's been a, a good week for them. Uh, Osasuna 2, Barca 2 was absolutely a thrilling game. Really enjoyed it. I think Barcelona played some nice football, but Osasuna got up and at them and they got a fantastic lake equaliser uh, through Chimi Avila. More on that in just a second. Betis are absolutely absolutely flying they beat La Real by four goals to nil although it doesn't necessarily tell the whole story of the game because La Real had plenty of chances and really probably didn't deserve to lose four nil but they did Betis are third a point behind second place Sevilla and the city of Seville is um, flying the flag very nicely in uh, La Liga and then it all finished off with the Madrid derby Real Madrid beating Atletico by two goals to nil at the Estadio Santiago Bernabeu, which is where you were, Sydney, uh, last night, and which is where we start our in-depth look back at the weekend's action. Real Madrid, top of the table. They are eight points clear of Sevilla, nine points clear of Betis. They are 13 points clear of fourth place Atletico Madrid and 18 points ahead of, of, of Barcelona. It doesn't really matter, though. Is there any league, Sid? No. Uh, well, I mean, look, there is. And, and, and I suppose there isn't necessarily a need either to kind of say that it's over. 
because that doesn't change anything. But the, the, the rational analysis of this now says that unless Sevilla can take a step, then there probably isn't any league. Now, there are lots of people who will say, but last year, in fact, there's a lot of people who've already been saying this, but last year Atletico had a big lead and, and you know, they had to go right to the final day. And there's, there's a couple of answers to that. Number one is, yeah, but they did actually mm-hmm. hold on. So fundamentally, it was that cushion that saw them through, even if they then very, very, very on edge until the very end. Also, last year, they were effectively overachieving at that halfway stage of the season with 50 points. And I think we all knew that there would be a climb down. And I think we all thought... Now, admittedly, we can be wrong about these analyses, by the way, but we all thought that the other teams had the capacity to improve dramatically. Mm-hmm. And both Real Madrid and Barcelona did that. The difference this year is that Real Madrid are currently on 42 points. So it's true that they could get to 48, which is just behind what Atleti were on last year at 50. And so you could say that's overachieving. But you look at Real Madrid and you don't see a team that's overachieving. You don't see a team that's kind of, you know, just about getting these victories. You see a team that's actually starting to find its feet and is maybe getting better if anything. And then the other part of it is you don't see a team, and again, this is an analysis that we can get wrong because teams can surprise you. You don't see at the moment a team that can go on the kind of run that Real Madrid and Barcelona did at the back end of last season to push them close. Um, And so that's why it feels different, or that's one of the reasons why it feels different. Because if you look at this and you say, all right, well, you know, they're only actually eight points clear of Sevilla and possibly five because Sevilla have a game in hand. But it's Sevilla, it's not Barcelona or Real Madrid or, or, or Atletico Madrid. The next team is Betis, and, and I think Betis have been very, very impressive and very steady and very consistent. But you look at the four games they've lost, Villarreal, uh, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid and Sevilla. And that tells you something about their level. Betis are very, very consistent in beating the teams they should beat. Which, by the way, is one of the reasons why beating Real Sociedad was significant this weekend. Because they actually beat a team that maybe is better than them. Or, or could be better than them. But, but they're not a team that you see necessarily winning those games that will define title races. I just don't, don't think they're a title competing team. So you've got to look, and with Barcelona out of it, because to be honest, 18 points behind, they are out of it. That's one thing I'm more than happy to say, you know, despite all the potential risks, which I really don't think are risks at all. And, and you look at Atletico and it's 13. And all right, if they win the game in hand, it's only 10. But that's too mm. much. That's too much because they, at the moment, don't look like a team that really know what they're mm. doing. That really know, and by that, I don't mean they don't know what they're doing and that, look, they're rubbish. I mean, they, I mean, genuinely, they don't know what they're doing and they haven't found a structure that works yet. They haven't found an identity that they're, they're convinced by yet. And so, while I think Atletico Madrid can become a very, very good team, I think they've got too far to, to uh, go. Real Madrid are a very, very good team uh, at the moment and they've got yes. very good players playing some of the best football they've ever played, not least Karim Benzema, who opened the scoring again, uh, 13th goal of the season. Although he did have to go off at halftime, he was a little bit of a doubt with uh, an injury. He'd gone off the previous week, of course, with an injury, missed the midweek game in the Champions League, started, scored, but but then went off. Uh, he was assisted by Vinicius, who assisted both goals. He played the pass for Marco Asensio to score the second as well. We've been going on about how Real Madrid have been scoring loads of goals this season, and it is in part to Vinicius improving massively and actually scoring and and Benzema being in really good form. But I'd suggest that it's also in part because of Vinicius's all-round play as well, because his intelligence, his awareness, his final ball decision-making has improved so massively as to benefit the team hugely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the two assists yesterday and they are not outrageously good assists, but they are both assists of someone who has a calmness and a clarity 
that maybe a year ago he wouldn't mm. have had because of continuity, because he's getting older. He spoke very well post-game, I thought. Yeah, I thought um, that as well. He doesn't of... stutter anymore. He speaks confidently, clearly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's it's still there's still moments when it's sort of slightly gobbledygook, and that he just talks about what he wants to talk about. But he, there was a, there was a confidence in the way he was expressing himself as well, and and he said very clearly that thing that I think he'd expressed on an interview in an interview with El Larguero a couple of weeks ago. But I think it's worth making a, the point again. And he said, "Well, look, I was 18 when I came. I'd only had one first division season, and that was one first division season in Brazil." And so you, the idea that the this guy would turn up and just be brilliant from the start is in itself flawed. I think. There are some elements of chance that might have gone his way. Maybe he was fortunate that those difficult times then, then were followed by a pandemic and he didn't have the stadium on his back. But actually, I think what he's shown is a real strength of character because it's very easy to get sunk by the Bernabeu. Mm. Very, very easy to get sunk by the Bernabeu. And he, and he hasn't been. And I thought both of his assists were assists of someone calm. And, and the, the first one in particular, I mean, I thought Atletico defended it really badly. You've got six defenders in the area all running towards their own goalkeeper. And Benzema takes one step back and says, thanks very much then. You run that way and I'll stay here. But Vinicius took the moment to, to kind of dink it up to him. And this is on the right wing and he normally plays on the left. So it's not even in an, in an area of the pitch that he's particularly accustomed to finding himself mm. in. Because he doesn't do a lot of runs up the left. And he doesn't do a lot of runs, which are straight, straight line runs, if you like, traditional winger runs. He tends to be a guy who comes inside. And so I, I thought that was, that was very, very striking. One other quick thing about, about the goal, if only because it's about Benzema. I thought what Benzema did on Sunday was the embodiment of Carlo Ancelotti's attitude towards rotation during this two-week period, which is, for as long as the players can play, they play. They get us through this. And then if they have to stop, they stop. And basically, that's what Benzema did. He came on, scored the goal. My work here is done. See you later. And that's essentially what their attitude has been to this 14-game run. Sorry, 14-day run. Yeah, Luka Modric played the full 90 minutes. Oh. And oh, he's brilliant. we were very pleased that he stayed on the pitch for 90 minutes because he was just another amazing performance from a 36-year-old. He's just a joy, isn't he? And I loved Ancelotti. I mean, Ancelotti, by the way, yesterday was brilliant again uh, post-game in terms of the honesty and the, the, the clarity with which he says things, but also the, just the, the, it's like, yeah, well, so what? I mean, it, genuinely, there's, there's a great Spanish phrase, which I can't think of an English example. He just doesn't care, I suppose, is, the, is a tight, close example, but it's ruder than that. Uh, he doesn't sweat mm. it. He doesn't sweat it now. He's not bothered about things. Um, and and cause so, so he's prepared to say things. So he was asked to say, what did you like about the game? He said, uh, Modric. <laughs> that was a brilliant answer. Yeah, Modric, yeah. Um, Modric was, was, was wonderful uh, it was a weird game I thought from Atletico Madrid's point of view but from Real Madrid's it was very good because I was talking to this with a Brazilian journalist on the way out of the stadium last night this was a weird game in which I kind of felt that Atletico weren't really bad no and in fact had chances and Courtois and made some good saves and Courtois made good saves and had a reasonable amount of the ball and yet there was a sort of feeling despite that that for all the chances that somehow Madrid were managing mm. this. It's okay. It's all right. And if you score well, we'll go and get mm. another one. I mean, I mean, that's not quite yeah. fair. I mean, that makes it sound like Madrid were a bit more in control than they really were. But the, if you like, the emotional feeling yes. during the game was actually Madrid have got yeah. this. Yeah, no, I agree. Totally. And that was about Modric, I think, as much as anything else. Although Casemiro played very well. All right, we're going to move on. There is more we could talk about, but there is uh, lots of talking points for us to try and squeeze in here. Let's talk about Osasuna too. Barca 2. Let's start with the Barcelona starting 11 because we 
we looked at it and when it came out and we were surprised i think it's i think it's fair to say not least because there were some players who, who featured in there who haven't really been featuring that much samuel Titi starting his first game since the 29th of april and then you look at the formation as well which was a little bit difficult to to fathom and yeah um What's Xavi playing at with, with, with these team selections and, and this formation? Uh, I think he's... I mean, this is state in the bleeding obvious because, of course, this is what every manager is trying to do. But I think in his case, it's more significant. He's trying to find a solution. He's trying to find a way of getting the pieces to fit and for it to function. I think he likes the idea of... Because it was sort of... Four, in fact, it was, in fairness. It was 3-4-3. Three, three. It was a midfield diamond. Um that I think meant that they didn't. But have then the Gavi was playing left back when they were defending. Well, well, that's the thing. It was a midfield diamond, but the two uh, points, if you like, of the, the two side, um, what would you call them, lateral points of the diamond, were dropping right in quite a lot of the time. Um, so you would have Busquets in front of the mid, uh, the back four. You then having people drop into that position. You have uh, De Jong very close to the forward. Um, I, I think he's trying to find a solution and trying to see if there's something he can do to shake this up. And one of the things that he said the other day, which was very interesting, was that he talked about this almost as a psychological problem. He used the phrase, um, defeat has become, what was the word? Se ha instalado. Defeat has installed itself at Barcelona. And I think he's saying this is kind of a mental problem, which is one of the reasons why I feel like the signings they have to make now have to be signings that, and this makes it very, very difficult, of course, that are transformative. And not just transformative in that here comes a player who plays well, but here comes a player who kind of shakes this up. A bit like Ronaldinho did when when Xavi was there, and I'm sure he'll be aware of Ronaldinho's impact in terms of changing the mindset. There's a defeatism about this team now that doesn't really believe. Um, But I don't think it's just that. I think there's also a limitation technically. You know, you see that with Luke de Jong. uh, And I don't think it's about de Jong, but, but, you know, he's an example of that. Um... And I think what Xavi was doing is just trying to see if there's some way of, of changing this, of shaking this, of, of, of kind of altering the... Even if you're not necessarily... You know, even if you look at the quality of the players, that's my best 11, somehow changing the chemistry within it. The Umtiti decision was a very interesting one. I suppose it's just, look, I want to see if this guy is as bad as we think he is physically. He was bad, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think he, I don't think he was terrible for someone. Who no, I don't think he was any worse than anyone else. But I think he was. Yeah, bad. yeah, I guess so. Uh, afterwards, Chavi said something quite interesting. He said the, the one of the positive things is that uh, the um, the youngsters are are, are shining bright and, uh, and and leading the way. But maybe that's also the problem as well. Which which yeah, hit the which phrase. sounded like uh, you know he was calling out some of the more experienced players. Absolutely, he was calling out the more experienced players. Because the phrase he used was, the, the, the young players are carrying us, and that's hard to digest. Which I think was a really, really pointed line. Um, which veterans is he talking about? Is he talking about all of them? Just some of them? Is he pointing the finger directly at Busquets and Piquet, who really are the ones who have to lead this? Alba's a slightly different case, I think. Um, but... I mean, I think he's starting to look at this and thinking, I really need to tear this up, completely tear this up. But what does that mean? It means you've got to force people out, even if you have to bite the bullet economically on them, I think. Like? Um, I I also think the de Jong thing was interesting, because I think he liked de Jong off the front, and I think we all liked de Jong Jong. when he had the ability. 
Frankie de Jong, yeah. When he has the ability to, to maraud. And we saw, I think, probably two months of de Jong playing really quite well last year, didn't we? From around about, when would you say, March maybe to the back end of the season, more or less. Um, and I think that he thinks, if I can just get this guy going, he could be a really good player. But if I can't then a big decision has to be made about the mm. De Jong and what you do mm. with him. Uh, one of the bright points was the performance of Ez Abde, who, who scored his first goal for uh, the club, as did Nico Gonzalez as, as well. But yeah, Abde looked... He, he's got something about him. Every time he, he plays and he starts, he, he takes players on and he looks sort of physical, yeah. a little bit unorthodox, but, but he's, um, he's, he's an exciting player. His post-match interview has gone viral in Spain because it was... Uh, very, have you seen it? Yeah, because all the fluidity he has on the pitch, it's fair to say he doesn't really have when he's talking. Uh, he was asked, so, so what does Xavi bring to you as a, as a manager? And he sort of looked dumbfounded. He goes, you've got me there. I don't really know. <laughs> His... and, and he actually sort of laughed, yeah, he was like, didn't he? He sort of laughed. Up, and of, uh, he, 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 he thinks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he basically said, things. Yeah, he, like, he, oh, says, wow. he, said, he said, well, he tells me to take people on and, and, and I take people on. So, so there we go. Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, in a way, you sort of want that. Yeah, you yeah, want yeah, yeah. the, if you like, the unconsciousness of yeah. you for the unconsciousness maybe of a player who doesn't think too much. And this brings us back a little bit to some of the things we were saying about Memphis at the start of the season. If part of their problem is emotional, uh, psychological, whatever you want to call it, you sort of need players who don't give mm. a shit or don't realise or aren't aware of the pressure. Um, and maybe that's one of the things that's happening with the veteran players. Maybe there is a feeling of the veteran players realise the weight that's on them. And maybe some of the kids don't because they don't feel it because the failures have not been theirs. Whereas the failures have very definitely been PKs and Busquets's. Whether it's up to them or not, it, it, it belongs to them. Um, and I think, I think they're aware of it. And PK was very interesting after the game. He said, you know, this is critical. Um, we, we, it's urgent now. We need to start winning urgently. Mm. So they can get their heads down and, and train hard this week and really focus on their next game at home to Elche. Oh, wait, no. They're going to Saudi Arabia for a friendly tomorrow. Mm. Yeah. Maybe a friendly is a good idea. Maybe it clears their mind, gives them a game not to worry about. I don't know. But yeah, it does. on the face of it, it does seem completely bizarre. By the way, they don't even need it because this is a friendly in homage of Diego Maradona. It's the Maradona Cup series. Yeah, the Mar- Maradona friendly played in Saudi Arabia, that well-known place where Maradona... Played out the best years of his career. It's what, it's what he would have wanted. Uh, and, and, of course, they now don't need it because they're playing Napoli in the Europa League anyway. Yes, it's true. <laughs> what uh, was the point? We, we, uh, we should talk about uh, Osasuna. And, and let's talk about their two goal scorers, David Garcia and, and, and Chimi Avila. Well, we've spoken about Chimi Avila before. Great to see him come off the bench and score a, a fantastic goal. David Garcia is one of the most underrated centre-backs in La Liga this season. He's been fantastic. It was his, it was his third league goal as well, a, a really good header. Completely unmarked, but a, a powerful header. And yeah, he's been, he's been right up there in terms of centre-back performance this season. I was not even joking when I responded to... I, I must confess, I can't remember if it was you or if it was actually our TSFP Twitter, um, when I said Selección. I think you look at the centre-backs that are going to the Spanish national team squad... I don't think he's out of place in that. Mm. I think he's been that good this year. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Osasuna still have only got one win at home. Yeah. Which is strange, it... which is strange, because El Sadar is, as we know, probably the most sort of intimidating and atmospheric stadium in 
La Liga. It was sold out yesterday as well. Terrific atmosphere, and still they they didn't manage to win. Although this this will feel like a win. Yeah, it will feel like a win. Um, and I also think it's significant because it's not just that that's the the way they play. It's the, uh, sorry, that's the stadium. It's also the way they play. There is this sense of continuity from the stadium to the fans of the sort of the madness of the way they play, very up and at them and direct and putting the ball in the box and crashing into challenges and all this kind of thing that kind of fits with the stadium. So for them not to have done that at home is curious. And mm. and I know. Um, from, from talking to, to a few Osasuna fans, that there's been a bit of a feeling in recent weeks that the team has become a bit flat, a little bit mm. unexciting, that it's lost some of that sense of identity of being, right, we're the team that puff our chest out and we run at you, even if you're better than us and we know you're better than us. We don't care. We're going to really go for you. And I think in a way, maybe it did them a favour yesterday that they were trailing to Barcelona, that they had to do that. And Arasate actually said it after the game. There's a quote, I uh, can't remember the exact wording, but basically the quote is, me and the fans like this version of Osasuna. And mm. so hopefully they, they can kind of recover a little bit of it. Yes, uh, hopefully. Uh, all right, let's move on and, and talk about the side who are absolutely flying. One of the most informed teams in La Liga, Betis, their third. They beat La Real 4-0 yesterday. Uh, we should mention something that's uh, that's getting a lot of uh, traction on social media, which is great to see. The traditional, now it has become uh, a traditional, uh, reign of teddy bears, La Lluvia de Peluches, which happens at halftime, uh, where all the crowd threw teddy bears onto the pitch for uh, disadvantaged children uh, during the holiday season uh, for them to uh, have a present. Um, great to see. And uh, long may that tradition continue. It was sold out as well. The Estadio Benito Villamarín. There were fifty-two thousand. It takes sixty thousand. They've got forty-eight thousand season ticket holders. Not all of them uh, turned up, but a really, really big uh, crowd to see Betis win four nil in a game which could have been a lot tighter had <laughs> had Real Sociedad taken their chances. But Betis are playing really well. They've got some of the best players on the ball in La Liga in Sergio Canales and, and Nabil Fekir. They've got Juanmi, who is the top scoring Spaniard in La Liga with 10 goals. That has come out of absolutely nowhere. Alex Moreno is playing really well down the left wing. He scored two goals as well uh, yesterday. And generally, Manuel Pellegrini, Don Manuel Pellegrini, the engineer, has got this team playing extremely well. I don't know if you saw the the statistics that's that's doing the rounds it was on uh, twitter from uh, fran martinez who has a a twitter account called uh, la liga en directo which if you speak spanish is really really good for uh, for stats and he um he tweeted the win percentage that manuel pellegrini has he's got the best win percentage in Primera División uh, in the history of Real Betis. He's got the best win percentage uh, in the history of uh, Villarreal as a manager uh, in the uh, Primera División. And he's got the uh, best win percentage uh, of a manager in, of Malaga in the Primera División uh, as well. Uh, also, uh, with Real Madrid, he's got the best win percentage for, with Real Madrid as a manager as well. So he's doing something right. Uh, you know what? I and mean, this is where I think I wish we'd done this podcast before I finished writing the column about Betis because that, that, that statistic would have been absolutely yeah. lovely to have included, which I yes. didn't know. Well, just you should follow Fran Martin. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should do. Oh, well, I do. I should, I should yeah. have seen it uh, at the time. Yeah. This was a weird game, wasn't it? Because Rouse with had Porto alone had five chances in the first half. Literally. Um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they really could have been two or three up. In fact, Pellegrini after the game said, I didn't like the first half. I wasn't mm. pleased with how we played in the first half. And Porto said post-game, and he wasn't wrong, he said, look, we were much, much better than them in the first half. They got caught out oh. by a goal from an absurd mistake 
from Alex Romero, who comes about 40 yards out of his goal to the touchline when he just doesn't need to. Uh, it's still a really good finish because Alex Moreno's then got... It's like a long putt from a, from a golfer, isn't it? He's got to go long and along the floor and he only just gets it in the, 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 the near, by the near post of the goal. And then in the second half, though, I thought Betis were brilliant. Um, they, they really opened up, as you say. Uh, Moreno is flying, absolutely flying at the moment. He's had injuries. It's been quite difficult for him and he was very emotional post-game. I don't know if you've seen his, yeah, like, yeah. his post-game interview. There's, there's a moment where... Uh, Ismael Medina, who's the, the Seville-based uh, pitch line reporter for, for the channel that's got the, the, the rights here in Spain, he started talking to me and he kind of paused and sort of looked at me and said, are you crying? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. He said, <laughs> so he said well, yeah, uh, the, the tears were starting to come into his eyes. He was very, very emotional about it. But they played very well. I mean, they're a really nice team and they're very much a, a Pellegrini team in that there's, there's, a, there's a nice combination of wanting the ball um, but a sort of a pragmatism that goes with it. There's a solidarity amongst the players. They um, they have technically very gifted players, and I think Sergio Canales is a, is a wonderful footballer. They're getting consistency out of Nabil Fakir, which is not an easy thing to do mm. because he's he can be a bit erratic, but he's been consistently brilliant all year. Uh, I was speaking this morning because I was writing about them and speaking this morning on the phone to to Mark Bartha about this, basically it, it, to kind of say you know help me understand some of this. And one of the things he said about Fakir I thought was really interesting, and he, which was about how you create the conditions that Fakir can play in. And those conditions really are you give him confidence and continuity and you're a team that gets the ball back quickly and gives it to him as quickly as you can, basically. You get mm. it to him quickly and that we want the ball all over the pitch, but everybody has, has to work. Now, some of what he was saying was, was, was kind of fairly simplistic, but then, but then he said, but then in a way, this is Pellegrini. And he did this, that thing that Spaniards sometimes do. Um, of saying Pellegrini has three or four ideas uh, that don't change and those three or four ideas are always the same and I said well what are they <laughs> because I was well, all in good saying three or four ideas he said, he said well they're not even he said they're quite simple they're, they're not they're not uh, what was it he said uh, de otro mundo they're not you know out of this world but they're very simple but they're very clear and they, and they don't change um, wanting the ball getting it back quickly the first defender is the forward the first attacker is the centre back the whole thing has to be done compact and that there has to be a complete sense of, of this being a, a, a kind of a collective approach, not an individual one. And these are very, very simple. He said, but what Pellegrini does is he tells you things, but he never tells you more than he has to. He says he hmm. tells you, he, there's a, obviously it's a, a bit more of a kind of a set phrase in Spanish, but he says, he tells you what you need to know, ni mas ni menos. He never tells you more than you need to know. And it's very, very clear and very direct. And, and I think the other thing that, that's significant with him, of course, is his stability. So you look at what happened with him, and he had a very difficult start at Betis. And then from the, second, from, from the start of 2021, so first game in 2021, begins a run of 26 competitive games last season, of which they only lose one. They mm. only lose one of 26. Now, admitted, there's too many draws. I think they draw like seven of the last ten or something, which is much too many. But there's a consistency about them, and they compete every single game. You know, even the Real Madrid game when they were beaten, they they could probably argue that they were the better side for an hour or so. Hmm. They're doing really, really well. Let's see uh, how long this excellent form can continue for Real Betis. Uh, that's just about all we've got time for on this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Before we go, a, a quick mention of the Segunda División. Leaders Almeria beat Zaragoza 3-0. They're nine points clear at the top of the table. After that... 
two points separate four teams. Uh, Ponferradina a second. They drew 1-1 at Leganes. Then it's Eibar, who drew 2-2 with Malaga. Tenerife, who drew 1-1 with Lugo. And Valladolid, who unfortunately beat Real Oviedo 2-1. This week, it's the Copa del Rey second round. There are 28 one-off games being played on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. Some highlights include... Cristo Atletico against Espanyol, Linares against uh, Alaves, uh, Andrax, conquerors of the mighty Real Oviedo, uh, hosting Sevilla, the mighty Raya Vallecano travelling to the small town of Bergantinos in Galicia, and Atletico San Luqueño, where Sid's best friend, favourite ever player, the, the mighty uh, Doc uh, is uh, playing. They're playing via Real. So yeah, some some and also Deportivo La Coruña against Osasuna. Fantastic, uh, great tie for uh, for Depor. So that's the Copa del Rey uh, coming up this week. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with our Q and A pod on Patreon. Hope you can join us uh, there. We've got loads of Spanish football content for you there. If it's your thing, which kind of hoping it is, uh, maybe you should come and join <laughs> and us. If it isn't, why are you listening to us? <laughs> yes. It would, be, it would be good if it was. Um, if not, don't worry. We'll be back here next week, as always, uh, talking about Spanish football. Adios, amigos. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Network.